You're listening to The Radical Flute, a radio play by Rose Hammer, here on Radio Roque, FM 99.3. come a long way. But not all the way. We're Rose Hammer, a collectively authored artistic persona. Still transnational, still transgenerational, and femme as fuck, but just starting to chisel away at that shiny obelisk of history. We're still learning and sharing, which for the last few weeks we had the pleasure to do here at Radio Rakel with our radio play. The Radical Flu. And a big thanks to Claire for being our support during these last months. So Rose, I mean, how to learn or unlearn or even relearn? What does it mean to uncover truth or break the silence? Well, it's a lot about history, about finding the blind spots and being responsible to them trying to understand the stories and asking those who know to share theirs. I remember this article we read together, the one of that epidemiologist, Sven-Erik Mammelund. Well, it was a super scientific kind of data how we talk about the Spanish flu and ethnic minorities. Very little opinion. But he was talking about a virus we can actually see. It was the archives he was looking for, and through, that had gaps. It was the fact that during this time, there was a hidden plague going on. Yeah, um, but this was some kind of key for us. It opened up a door into a new place. Uncovering the virus that we can't see, but spreads itself in a set of instances, situations, actions the outcomes of which may endure for generations. We have been chiseling away various currents of art and politics within the capital. Until this article, we have been blindly urbanized. Why were the Saomi and Kveng communities so affected by the Spanish flu? Why wasn't there any information in their mother tongue? There was no need for speculation. It became evident that for many years there had already been plague, the plague of colonialism. Today, dear listeners, you will hear many stories, and in order to prepare, we will begin with our dear friend of Rose, Elina Våge Mikaelsen. Elina is also on a journey to fill holes, and her voice will accompany us through the end and exits of this broadcast. We'll then shift to fellow florist, artist, Margrethe Iran Pettersson and her rooting practices. Margrethe is from Römsa and Lebusby in Finnmark. And for this episode, she let us include her beautiful sound work, Sensual Coexistence. In Norwegian, Sanselig Samhörighet, which she made in collaboration with Nina Krog and Richard Sveen. Mm. 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 Mm.
Yeah, it's um, it's been a long, and it's still an ongoing process. This to to reconnect to my roots, and it's also, I think, a nice metaphor. This um, being more in contact and seeing things in another way and learning things and sharing knowledge in another way. <clears throat> so, um, and that was, it started through plants that I learned some Sami words. Um, <clears throat> and then I moved like slowly up to Finnmark and the area coming nearer and nearer the area of my grand or my ancestors' land. And this piece, uh, living land under and above, that I made for dark ecology in 2015. That was kind of a turning point, or more kind of like an eye-opener for my methods, maybe. Um, and I also looked in, then I looked into old Sami stories. And I had a really nice lady called Britt Kramvik that helped me. She was in the university, so she could like find these um, old books mm-hmm. and, and share them. And I had these nice talks with her. She was kind of a mentor. <laughs> and because I felt it was very, very important when I was in this area outside Kirkenes to point at this is Sapmi. And, but I also found that it was many stories that was very alike, that mm-hmm. my grandmother on the other side um, had told me and I heard and my aunt. So we were also talking a lot about these different kind of people living very close, like the Russian people, and the Finnish, the Kvan, the Satmi, and, and just North Norwegians, they were like, so they were kind of intervene this um, in, in some, at some point, of course. Um, but then I used both uh, stories, some stories that my aunt told, and that is kind of talking about other entities that we don't see, that can lead us or guide us or help us Um, and I was working on this frozen lake so it started out more like me searching connecting to the darkness and the snow and the ice because I had this memory of laying in the snow just spacing out when I was a kid Mm. looking at the stars and um, Northern Lights and I was also disconnected from this. So it was an exercise for me (laughs) to go back and to feel um, scared. And Mm. uh, being on, I remember we were, me and Hilde Mete was this curator who uh, invited me. We had borrowed this uh, ice uh, 
to, to drill a hole in the ice. <laughs> it was very not sharp, so we, we could, because I wanted to record under the ice. And she uh, she was like, yeah, but I can uh, I call a friend and I can go and pick up another one. So I was suddenly out there on my own, and that was such a nice experience to just um, yeah be there and listen. <laughs> And reconnect. Yeah, or, totally. It's really, it's, um, it's so interesting how many different kinds of words and meanings there are in Sami mm. for the nature. Mm. And when you said that you kind of relearned your language mm. through the names of these plants, mm. it feels so... I don't want to say beautiful because there's also probably a reason why you didn't learn, you mean, your mother tongue? Yeah, you know? yeah, it's, yeah, it's this very, uh, how to say it, um, this story of Norwegianification or yeah. colonizing, um, yeah, so it's kind of, um, uh, yeah, I've been sad and angry and a lot of different things. But I didn't know either that I was Sami because it's people didn't talk about it. Um, and yeah, and it's all yeah. But um, but it's also nice to or important I think to do it your own way or find. Don't push it, kind of. Um, yeah, for me at least that has been the way. <clears throat> and I haven't yet been on this site. Uh, I just moved around Hammerfest and Vatsevarde. And I'm not so very good in looking at maps and <laughs> geography. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and for a long time I thought it was in Gamvik because I heard a story of my brother. He said I had an aunt in Gamvik, and then I just made up the story that they were from Gamvik. But then my mother found a note three or four years ago with the names of my grandmother and grandfather mm-hmm. and the dates when they were born. And then I did a, a quick search on digital archives, and I found. That it was uh, in Lebesby Commune in Beckerfjord, and it's also called Codfjord. So yeah, the plan is to go there to do. And I wrote, yeah, it's um, it's a long way up there, and and I think I need time to. <laughs> when the corona hit in March, we were. Almost buying this camping wagon. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was so nice to just drive there.
now I'm working on this river. I've learned last year that Oslo has ten rivers. Uh, and I was kind of shocked. <laughs> I was like, what? And um, so now me and my partner are, are working with to, to dedicate one year to one river. Mm. Um, and, um, and getting to know <laughs> them. Mm. So the, the first one has been Alna. Uh, Alna River is, is the longest river in Oslo, and uh, we also found that it was the, it used to be called Lo, Elva or Lo River, and that's the name Oslo. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but um, it's underground many places, or it's put in pipes. Um, it was very nice uh, timing with the corona situation that because my partner lives nearby Hellsphere and and the river is very close so we can go there and be there a lot and also have listened to how the soundscape changes in the city that was also very interesting also with the seasons maybe does the flow of the water change totally Mm. Mm. So we've been there since March, and uh, and we want to make a walk in the winter. Now, February, we're hoping for snow, but let's see. (laughs) 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 But like, what can we learn from the river? It's like, in many cultures, and in the Sápmi, it's... It has a greater value, or it's like, it's, uh, like your sister, or <laughs> yeah. And that's also, of course, um, a process of um, getting to know a river, but also less on the layers of <coughs> relations and. and yeah, we've been discussing a lot now, like, do we need any human voices in this piece? But um, it's underground many places, or it's put in pipes, um, so you don't. So we went to Alnabru, <laughs> this very, very strange uh, area, um, where the cars... Uh, has taken over or the industries of different kinds um, but we're thinking maybe to start there do you think there are places where you can hear it underground yeah that is also that would be another project yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. hey We're back. And I just want to tell about the tones in the start. Elina's voice that tells the story of being of two places. Her work often draws from inspiration, from her dual background, the Sami and Norwegian. She explores the body, the possibilities and limitation 
of the female voice in a physical, historical and gendered context. You heard an excerpt from Rotko Govkit, Glennare Vier, released on the cassette label Breton Cassette, based here in Oslo. Next, we sit down with Cecilia Passion, who speaks to us about her work at the Oriel Saumien Theater in Moirana, and how she believes structural changes in education are essential in tackling the coloniality of our schools. I come from a very small mountain village in uh, in Jentland, in the Swedish area, the South Sami area, and this uh, small village where I have my roots is uh, is named Horsbotten. There was a, a Sami village in the in the, the Sami community of Tossosen in Jentland. So my father is a South Sami and uh, he was one of three brothers and he was the youngest one. So he was the one who had the opportunity to get education. And I started with the theater when, when I was about 20. It was in January 1985. So I have been also doing a lot of other things in my life, not only theater, but I have been studying theater, Sami theater, and the cultural expressions in the theater. Um, now I live in Norway. And I am the leader of the South Sami Theater, Wariel Samien Theater, here in, uh, in the Norwegian side of the South Sami area. We have the office in, uh, in Muirana. So I am now at the office in the South Sami Theater in Muirana. So I've been a leader for the theater since January 2014. There were um, some um, Samis that went to the to the theater school in Stockholm, and uh, maybe it was, I don't know the ones that was in the Norwegian side of Sami area if they went to Oslo or where they went. They got the actor education, and then they came back started to work with theater and started the Sami theater movement in the beginning of the um, 19, uh, 20, 19, it was the 20th century, in the beginning of the 80s, you can mm. say, or in the beginning of the 70s also. It started very, very small, but in, in, the, in the 1980s, uh, the theater... Uh, established itself in both in Norway and in Sweden. So now we have some theater institutions, both in Sweden and in Norway. And in Norway, we have a national Sami theater in Kautokeino, Beivas, and it's Oaril uh, Sami Theater here in Mirana. How important mm-hmm. do you think the theater is um, for kind of preserving the language, because I mean, I know in Southern Saumi, it's, it's very few people that still speak the language. Mm. Yes, but you can see that the young people now are starting to get their language back there. You can see results from many years of, 
of language uh, work, work with find making uh, books in Sami and um, education in, and and um, Sami teachers and. So you can see that the young Samis are starting to take back the language now. And that's very positive for us. And I can, I, we, our desire is not to preserve anything. Uh, our desire is to find new ways of using language and using cultural expressions in the theater. And we are also trying to make bridges uh, since we have uh, our most important audience is the children and young young people, make bridges between them, between the Samis and their Norwegian and Swedish friends. So for us, it's important to reach out to all of them, uh, uh, not thinking about if they are speaking Sami or if they are not speaking Sami. We are trying to find a way so they can uh, come together around, for instance, Sami stories. So we are mixing the languages, the Sami and Norwegian, sometimes Swedish. So, so it will be a platform where everything is... Uh, used and everything is possible. I would say that there is not a lack of information. What It, it is a lack of education. Mm. And that is a colonialistic technique to make a people invisible. That's the most efficient way to hold the Sami people down, is that make them invisible. And you're not teaching about them in school. And if you speak about them, it is like they are on another place. They are not here. And that is, I think it is the most racistic and colonialistic technique. This silence, uh, not speaking about, making us invisible and not uh, read about the Sami people in school, making uh, us disappear as if we don't exist is very, very destructive. I, I would say that is the most um, efficient racism that exists. And the whole system is practicing it. So uh, I, also, I always sometimes say that the school is the most racistic institution in Scandinavia because it is not um, handling these uh, educational matters about Sami culture properly. But and that is making a lot of conflicts, a lot of pain, a lot of um, unnecessary suffering for the whole community, especially in the North. You don't even recognize it when it is in practice because it's invisible. It is a way of thinking and it's also, it is so, um, it is, uh, it's so uh, included in everything that we do so that the Psalmists themselves 
learn how to become invisible when it's necessary. In the third grade, there is a plan that you are going to read about Psalmist, and it's much up to the teacher if the teacher dares to teach about the Psalmist. Sami culture, because uh, many teachers say, but we don't dare because we don't know anything. If the Sami culture would be integrated in the school system, then uh, I think uh, the conflicts would disappear. Mm. Uh, there would be an, a more natural way to be together. Mm. It would be uh, the misunderstandings or the prejudices everything that makes that keeps us apart would disappear and we could be able to live together and respect each other and understand each other much more uh, than we do today and uh, it's not enough to have a sami theater or a sami um, parliament and to give them some money and and ask them to solve the problem it's not possible to do that there have to be a structural change in this society and it has to start with the school. The Radical Flu by Rose Hammer A radio play in eight parts produced in collaboration with Nordam and Radio Rakil the world's oldest feminist radio station. Radical Flu, Part 7 Reaching Winter Grounds The Radical Flu is a radio play by Rose Hammer and part of Rose Hammer's national episode series. Reaching Winter Grounds is the seventh chapter of this radio play. Extending outside the borders of Christiania, we reach further north in order to give attention to peripheral pasts. We find ourselves amongst the Sami, who are protecting their land, their language and their culture after repeated attempts of assimilation from the Norwegian authorities. In late 1918 and 1919, the Spanish flu would arrive without warning, emphasising an even greater abandonment by the state. Mortality rates were high. Telling us their stories are Johan Turi, the first Sami author to publish a secular work in a Sami language, the Chicana feminist Gloria Anzaldúa, with her poem A Woman Lies Buried Under Me, Else Laula Renberg, Sami activist, politician, an organizer of the first Sami Assembly of 1917. Daniel Mortensen, key figure in the establishment of Southern Sami interest groups at the start of the 20th century. Rose Hammer would like to address that the material vocalized within this script is spoken through the original words of the characters themselves. The Radical Flu has been commissioned by Oslo Biennale with a kind support of Kuf Kiu.
Reaching winter grounds. One never hears about the Sami's arrival, as if they had come from somewhere else. The Sami have always lived in these parts, here in the Sami homeland. A woman lies buried under me, interred for centuries, presumed death. Yet the dead are not truly really gone if the living speak or sing about them. I speak to you not because I know you are there and can see you with ordinary eyes, but because I know you must be there. Johan Turi. If I name you, Elsa Laula Renberg. There were no borders between us before. Our animals grazed freely between hills and valleys that belonged to all of us, owned by the natural not the political. One land now splits between four drawn lines. They came by way of the sea to the northwest outcropping and frightened the Sami away from the coastal areas. And the Sami fled to the forest uplands and there they lived in peace for many years and looked down at their herds in the forest and mountains which were deserted or unsettled. But as the population grew there also came some people clothed in black to the place where the Sami had first fled, and they built settlements right there where the Sami were living, for they saw that there were good fields there, that the reindeer had soiled, urinated and manured, where the Sami had lived for many generations. And once again, they drove the Sami away from their dwelling places. And we had to leave again. But now there were no forest tracts left, so we could no longer flee, but simply had to resign ourselves to the situation. A woman lies buried under me. I hear her soft whisper, the rasp of her parchment skin fighting the folds of her shroud. Her eyes are pierced by needles, her eyelids two fluttering moths. And when the Norwegian settlers could no longer frighten them further away, then they started to steal everything they found. Cheese, milk, hides and cattle. And they even killed some Sami. How can a state make decisions for a people whose lives and conditions they have no understanding of? We have been made exiles from the very land we tread upon made to fight back with fury. A woman lies buried under me, afraid to wake, afraid to greet the eyeless ovals of intimate faces, unchoosing. And what is the language of our resistance when they attempt to extinguish our mother tongue? Daniel Mortensen, buried in 1924 as Samenes Urede Färer, the fearless leader, Carved upon his gravestone in Rörås, sudden Sapmi. The ones who forge ahead to the heat of the battle will not victor, only fight and fall. They are attempting to clean the country, rid it of the unknown. In 1902, our language was of no value. It was determined that only those Sami who could speak, read and write in the Norwegian language and practice it on a daily basis 
had the rights to purchase land. The language of the settlers is the language of defeat. The Sami will not plunder. Our stories will not be lost. Our tongues will not be cut. We must take back what they have attempted to strip us of. We own our language, our land, and our culture. A woman lies buried under me, dreaming that she walks across the horns of the moon and wakes at the foot of its bridge. There is nothing but one answer only, and this is a united Sami association running through every life nerve of the Sami population. Lappenes Centralförbund, established in 1904. Time has passed, Elsa. We must begin to form alliances. We must bridge the fight for our rights as a people with those of the class struggle. I fear the spirit of nationalism has been awakened. I have made contact with our sisters across the lands. Bruskankens Samiska Kvinnoförening, established in 1910, called Bruskanken after the grazing district, after the mountain in Befsen, southern Sápmi. For many years now, we have been dispersed, divided, but never conquered. We need to create an arena for dissent, where all Sami can be together. A woman lies buried under me, clothed in black. The moon sheds its light, a fragile snake skin brushing my face. Our allies open their doors. Ellen Lee, a journalist for the newspaper called Daxavisen, became our carrier, communicating the needs and demands of the Sami to the state and its public. Samelandsmötet, February 6, 1917. Methodist Kirken, Trondheim. Astri Orsen became our eyes, painting beautiful portraits of our people. Every painting was a unique gesture into the depth of our traditions. Maria Finskog arrived in the Shurya Shoppe from Röros, from which underneath two long braids of her hair exposed themselves, threading into one another until they reached her soft hand, resting directly on her upper thigh. Her green gupta flowed freely from her waist down to her ankles, meeting stripes of yellow, red and blue, embroidered along the hemline. We spoke about our schools and the demand for our children to be taught in our language. We spoke about our lands and where our animals have the right to graze and ways to organize. The small man from the big city shouted down from the pulpit. Martin Tranmel. His feathery hair swayed back and forth with each breath he took, exhaling about unions and associations. There was passion and love, and indeed his passion was inspiringly out of place. Among the Sami, each person has a particular duty, yet on this day we left with a resurgence of hope and a feeling of unity, a light that will guide us through a period of time that has been too dark, through winter, towards the migrations. Where our herds make race free. One day, Another kind of stranger arrived, one the Sami had never encountered before. A beast, disguised as one of our own. The sweat came dripping through his hides, and a deep, dark roar came singing from his lungs. A woman lies buried under me. I hear her soft whisper, the rasp of her parchment wings, 
fighting the falls of my shroud. When the boy arrived, they began treating his sweat for chills. Resorting back to old methods, they gave him warm blood from a reindeer and for his cough. They rubbed the soles of his feet with ice and heated them up as hot as the boy could stand. Everyone gathered around and watched his death. When the doctor did arrive some days later... It was too late. The doctor knew exactly what it was and told them with his colonial tongue. Save yourselves. It finally reached winter grounds, arriving mutated and ever more virulent in February 1919. Virgin soil, the doctor said. People who live in the periphery are not exposed and therefore not equipped. Vulnerability is the basis of our strength. The Crown understands what it has done and that we have been neglected like a bastard child, giving nothing to protect ourselves with, not even a warning, a sign in which we could decipher. Do we face life or death? A woman lies buried under me. I emerge covered with mud. Twigs fall from my eyes. I rise. I smell every flower. Touch the four corners and the burning trees. In my own hands. My life. Many would gather to stare at the spectacle of death. Some tried to help by calling upon Nuaidi. Some Sami escaped into the mountains, but the stranger was inescapable and travelled by means unbeknownst to us. Many vanished from our sight. The only thing that can prevail amidst death is life. For the dead are not truly gone if the living speak or sing about them. What will be remembered will be the cowardness of the crown and the strength of our people, which will again and again rise to their calling to defend what is theirs. You are listening to Radio Rakel and I'm Rose Hammer. Now we bring you to another show. Unfortunately one we couldn't be at. But one we can listen to. The sound comes from an album released by FFB, Fellskapsprojektet och Fortette Bien, or For a Denser Concentration of the City, during the recent exhibition of artist and architect Johan Nango at Bergen Konsthall. We wished we, we, that we could have been there, but since we never arrived, we chose to play the song Arrival by Kvinge Flatland, who's also produced a record, an architecture celebrating the failure of capitalism. After that, Cecilia will tell us more about Elsa Laula. Thank you. 
I think it would now be interesting to talk about uh, the play that your theater put on in 2012. Elsa Laula, the, woman, the one who crossed the border. Okay. Uh, in a way, maybe. <laughs> I don't uh, know, maybe it's a bad, uh, maybe it's a bad translation. I don't know, yeah. but it's something like that. Mm. Mm. the Dead was the name of the book she wrote in yeah. 1904, I think, small pamphlet she made. And that was because she could see that there was a lack of educational material. She wanted to write a book that people could read and read about some issues. I'm very curious uh, to listen to you speak about when and how did you decide to to make this play? Yeah, it was not my decision. I was not the theater. I was not the leader of the artistic director of the theater. There was Ada Eymu Jürgensen who established the institution. She wanted to make this, uh, this story. And she was only looking for the right person to make the main character. She, she was, they were only waiting to find the right actor to make the, the character. And, and uh, I came into, into the theater in another, actually I was here when these uh, old uh, amateurs, uh, the reindeer people was <laughs> still, when they started uh, the amateur group, I was uh, together with them actually already then but uh, I had been working and living in other places and uh, and I I came into the theater in another play and after that she asked me if I could uh, if I wanted to be join the story about the performance and the project about Elsa Laula and I think that it was a very good idea and for an actor it is uh, det är som drömroll. Dreamer. Yeah, if you ask a, a female actor if she wants to play the part of Golda Meir or or uh, some <laughs> or Margaret Thatcher or some of these big iconic uh, female characters that is in the Western history and in in, in the Judean history, then it's everyone wants to do those big and charismatic characters. I think it was strange that no one else had come to the idea to make a performance about Elsa Laula before because it is a very dramatic story. So we came together, she and I, and it was also one, the director was Liv Hegen Nylund, she was in she was, I think she was the leader for the Tourné Teatret in Trøndelag. And she was, she, at least she was working as a director there. So we wrote the play together. Ada made a lot of the research, research and we had like workshops where we were um, putting the research together and reading there was there is a lot of documents about mm -hmm. Elsa Laula a lot of newspaper articles 
some of them is really, really aggressive and, and it shouldn't pass on a modern um, uh, newspaper today because some of them was really insulting and uh, very, very personal and very, very um, negative about her. But she, there is also a lot of letters that she wrote. She had a correspondence with many people from uh, Queen, uh, Queen Sophia in, in, um, in Stockholm and, uh, and, and uh, Reindrift's inspector. There was a male authority about rain, in reindeer herding in, in Norway. She was writing letters to the kings and queens and to the, to the key, uh, the people that had influences in society. And many of those letters still exist. And uh, some of them are official, some of them are private, but they're, they're, they are documenting about what she's, it's documentation of what she was doing and why and how she was interacting with these, uh, with these authorities. And, I, and so we had a lot of materials and there was also interviews that Ada has made with the oldest son of Elsa Laula because she had met him and spoke to him and so, so there was a lot of material to work with when we made um, a manuscript and there was a lot of choices that had to be made also what to bring into the story and what not to bring in what was interesting for the plot and what was not what was there was very much material so many things were too much it was too much mm. Mm. but did you set out did you really create the narrative based on the material that you were working with and reading or very much so yeah when that was the official uh, the official uh, picture of elsa laula was based on on these documents the letters and the newspaper articles and we are, and there was also a lot of material from the first Sami meeting in Trondheim. Mm -hmm. There was also a lot of material from that. But then it was also the gossip, the gossip about Elsa Laula. Because now I live in an area uh, together uh, uh, with the family that was uh, also the family that she lived with that she had here in Norway. I am in the same reindeer, reindeer community as she was. Mm. So there was a lot of stories about her and there was, of course, a lot of gossip about her. And now it has been three generations. So some of the gossip just have taken off in a, into, into fairy tales. <laughs> so it was also a lot of that kind of material we had to um, investigate. Mm. Yeah. There was also some uh, scientists that, that came and visited her when she was uh, still alive that wrote some really bad characteristics about her. Uh, he came when she just had given birth to her youngest child 
And then he suddenly showed up and was going to investigate. Uh, he was investigating something about uh, Sami language. And she was, of course, had newly given birth to a child and have a lot of hormones and was, of course, very vulnerable. And from that, he wrote a story about her when he was doing his uh, memoirs. And that story was not was not kind to Elsa Laula, no. So we had him as a store as a voice in this in the performance mm. because he wrote down what he thought about her. Why her? Because you said there were others and I mean she was extremely extremely important um for the yes, first it was a movement it was a movement it was a sami movement that started in those days she was not the only one but she as a woman she she was standing out and she was also a very charismatic agitator and that was she was uh, kind of arousing the audience everyone that came listening to her was caught up in her in her um, radiance or what you can call it. she was an uh, entertainer and she was uh, um, ag agitator that really catched uh, catched the, everyone that was listening and some many people liked it many people disliked it and that was uh, often a topic in the newspaper if she was interesting or if she was just theatrical mm. uh, but of course she was speaking her heart out for what was important and no one was untouched by her appearance because i know also she was very good friends with martin tronmel who was an agitator yeah. on the norwegian mm -hmm. side and he was actually at the first sami landsmöte yes the she invited him. Mm -hmm. She invited him, and she also invited the king and the uh, and uh, reindeer's inspector, the reindeer inspector. <laughs> she invited them all, and she got letters from the kings, from both the Norwegian and the Swedish king was writing uh, their greetings and thanking for the invitation, and uh, they were they were very much aware about that she that there was a gathering of Sami people in Trondheim and she was very uh, anxious to be for her it was important that they would be in Trondheim and not in a small place in the north she said you have to we have to meet in a big place where there is media and where people can come and there will be people coming to listen to us uh, that was important for her so she was the architect of, of uh, the meeting because there were other Samis that wanted to have it up here in the north in Mayavatne on, on the, um, the, the normal meeting places for the Sami people and she said we don't have to meet to speak to each other mm. we have to meet to speak to the world about our difficulties and our issues what's important for us and that is what happened. They came to Trondheim and they had alliances there and they were speaking to the world. 
that's also why we have this uh, Sami national, Sami, the day of the Sami people, the 6th of February, because the 6th of February was this meeting. So that's why we have this, the date. And oh. she was also um, making the, the, the start, what heter it? She opened the meeting to commenced the meeting. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Could not compromise. For mm. her, it was all or nothing. And that if you are working with politics and you you cannot make compromises, then you have a big disadvantage. She could not do that. For her, it was life or death <laughs> all the time. So I think that was a disadvantage for her as a politician, mm. because uh, in those cases, in those, when it came to those issues, the, the, it was the men that, uh, that uh, reached to results and they took uh, over the political area. She was the one that was agitating and making uh, and making inspiration for people and but then she couldn't make compromises and when you go into a person's own words like i did then you get a you get the experience about about the person you get to have you get the experience of her and then you can see that she could not make compromises and in and in this um, lack of compromise you could also feel a lack of empathy one can never underestimate the inspiration she have given to the coming generations she is a, a role model for many sami women and many sami politicians today because she, her visions about the Sami, uh, the Sami uh, nation is uh, still uh, very important for many Samis. She had a vision that the Samis would once have their own nation and their own uh, free nation and their own land. What do you think about her legacy? Yeah, Avian Company, that is Norwegian, I think it was. Mm -hmm. They had a competition. They wanted to have Norwegian heroes on the back tail of the flight. And uh, Elsa Laula was, uh, was uh, one of the few female propositions and the only summer proposition. Mm. She, uh, I don't I don't think that she ever, that they, there was like a voting that people could go in and vote who they wanted to see on the back tail of the airplanes. And she was one of the few women that was uh, suggested. Oh. And she was the only Sami that was suggested. I don't know all these men that came up on the back tail of the airplanes. I don't know any of them. Except Ibsen of course yeah so I think and and I think that she got just that she was uh, uh, suggested as one of those shows that she was a person 
she was a character that uh, that meant something. I don't think that she ever came up on the back tail because they, they of course, the Norwegians they were wo voting on their own heroes. But she, but just that she was a suggestion, um, shows that she was uh, well known and should have been maybe even more known. She should be in the history books. Yeah, I mean it's. It's yeah. incredible that she is not. That's how you make uh, people invisible. Not telling their stories. Mm. Not telling about their heroes. From one entertainer. Agitator. Arouser. To another. This is Tamimi Mara. Okay, I'm going to mute myself and then um, what should I say? The digital, the digital floor is yours, but the you air, airwaves on Thursday, if you want to like <clears throat> contextualize it or I don't know. No, but I could just, I can just, I can just go and just say when I'm done. Yeah. And then we just, yeah, we can start with the introduction and stuff after. Mm. Cool. Okay. So, yes. Thank you. Mm. Halv lapp, halv läbb, halv slapp, halv känd, mittemellan, allt jag är halverst helt utbränd, undviker politiken. Kalla mig skygglapp men jag vägrar att bli utsliten. Kalla mig brasklapp men jag är så fucking trött på skiten. Det måste finnas mer för oss i livet. Identiteten borttappad, upphittad, som av Columbus utställd och uttittad. Som Herman Lundborg utmätt och uppsnittad. Men jag svär att du kan aldrig lära gamla hundar sitta. Jag är långt ifrån din fördom, är lika långt från färdig. Är långt ifrån din fiende, är lika långt från fullär. Arctic indigenous excellence in progress baby. Borta bra men hemma överallt är välkommen till Sápmi. Oavsett årstid alltid vackert här som njut. De vill spränga bort oss men vi vet att jag kan mera kraft än krut. Våra decolonized eyes, baby. Visar alla deras colonized lies, baby. Och jag vet att det har varit mycket kaos lately. Men ingenting är svartvitt. Vi är colorized, baby. Våra decolonized eyes, baby. Visar alla deras colonized lies, baby. Och jag vet att det har varit mycket kaos lately. Men ingenting är svartvitt. Vi är colorized, baby. Vi är som norrskenet mer än vi är sken av. Vi är som midnatt sol om sommaren tar det helt av. Vi är som elven, ingen här forcerar något Som en eld här, alla här brinner för något Så vi är colorized, ingenting är vitt svart Vi är som regnbågen, kalla mig för slicklapp Kalla mig Elsa Laula, jobbar ihärdigt Kalla mig Baruk, språkgeni och karriärsvet Kalla mig Boyne, jag hörs över hela världen Kalla mig Kitok, för jag gör det obekväm visst Ingen tid för colonizer lies, ingen tid att minimize Kalla mig långa lappflickan, jag är minority supersize våra decolonized eyes, baby. Visar alla deras colonized lies, baby. Och jag vet att det har varit mycket kaos lately. Men ingenting är svartvitt. Vi är colorized, baby. Våra decolonized eyes, baby. Visar alla deras colonized lies, baby. Och jag vet att det har varit mycket kaos lately. Men ingenting är svartvitt. Vi är colorized, baby. Norr om polcykeln på många eyes, eyes, babies. Du som gnäller över vintern gråter en istab. Bye, bitch. Vi jobbar oss varma, vi svettas i sauna, vi biter ihop och vi kommer att stanna, vi kommer tillbaka, vi är nutidsnomader, vi vet ju vår jord, ingen allsmäktig fader, vi vet att vi alltid bär med oss vårt hem. Men det är hit vi kommer när vi kommer hem. Våra decolonized eyes, baby. 
visar alla deras colonized lies, baby. Och jag vet att det har varit mycket kaos lately. Men ingenting är svartvitt via colorized, baby. Våra decolonized eyes, baby, visar alla deras colonized lies, baby. Och jag vet att det har varit mycket kaos lately. Men ingenting är svartvitt via colorized, baby. Gito. Tack. Oh, wow, that was really beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. My heart is beating very fast. Nice. <laughs> This is the reaction. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, but that's um, what art's supposed to do, at least the reaction. Yeah, that's what art's supposed to do. But I, I do think that you have a very specific agenda in, in how you work with words. Mm, yes, but not just as in work, as in like Lutheran work morality. No, work, no, no. But it's just um, in general, I think communication is. Um, we are talking about communication instead of communicating. Mm. It's very underrated today. Uh, And I think poetry is, it's, it's, it's both my way of um, communicating to like the, the, the broader audience, what I think needs to be said, but it's also most definitely a way for me to, to have a, a safe space. Mm. The stage for me is, is a created self, self-care place because being a, Being a young indigenous kid in the big city, uh, being told to to be quiet and to be still all the time, uh, and always feeling too much but never enough, then you uh, then you can be become a bit like you become so aware of when people find you too much mm. and intruding. And on a stage, I know that people have come there to see me, to hear me. And if they don't like it, they can walk off. Mm. And I can tell them like my most personal opinions and private thoughts, but in art form. And now when I do it in a way that is, I don't know, colonial, colonially accepted, it's, it's pretty enough to pay for, then they listen. Uh, so I can distance myself at the same time as I am opening up in a very, very vulnerable way. Mm. So I think that's it. But uh, introductions, totally yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so, you're the, it's just like the rhythm and everything it just lends itself really to I don't know it's so, it's so organic in a way but it's sorry I just got we should do your introduction yes okay. so I mean it would be very nice if you yourself introduced who you are okay monomale timimik askomerak imolakti spoken word artista sami activista yamolen transgender Um, so my name is Timimi Kaskomarak and I am a spoken word a poet um, and a indigenous activist and also um, trans 
my pronouns are they them. Uh, in Sami, we only have one pronoun, and that's uh, son, which is they, them, uh, he, her, but it can also be uh, it. So um, after I came out, it made it made the most sense to to have they them uh, as my colonial pronoun. <laughs> mm. Mm. It feels like in that case, going through two adjustments, like one, you know, one with language as well, mm. which is a bit uh, challenging, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I don't speak Yule Sami fluently. I am a part of the generation that had to, uh, had to, but also had the space to an opportunity to reclaim uh, the languages. Uh, my grandfather is part of the generation uh, that they just beat. They, mm. they beat the crap out of the kids until they spoke Swedish. And so my mom uh, and her siblings uh, talked Svamiska, uh, like Swedish Sami when we grew up. Mm. <clears throat> So when, when we were living in Stockholm, that was really confusing because I realized as I grew older that there were some words that I just knew in Sami uh, and just assumed that all of the other Swedish kids and not Sami kids understood. So trying to translate something, not, not even knowing it was another language uh, was a bit messed up. So we've been speaking Svaviska uh, uh, always. And then when my sister, uh, um, uh, I had the opportunity to to speak more so bit by bit reclaiming it and I think it's I think it's really important for people to to hear someone older talk about the joy and the struggle of um, reconnecting with mm. uh, with the language um, because so much of the of the what ifs and the <clears throat> and the things stopping us, I think is just colonial shame. Because if I have an accent uh, in Swedish, if I have a Swedish accent when talking English, mm. it's just a reminder that I know more than one language, which is a good thing. Mm. But when you have an accent reclaiming, reconnecting and trying out your mother tongue like your mother language you get constantly reminded of how colonized you are and mm. can be really really rough it's like this repeating trauma in a way <clears throat> yeah when you're course. just trying to reclaim your own mm. when you're trying to relearn the language that should have first come out of your mouth in a way yeah it, it was it it should have been something that was just natural, but it was more convenient for for the the country which board which borders I am within um, mm. to teach to teach them to be ashamed of the language. Mm. Mm. But I mean, the good thing is that when you when you are reclaiming uh, a language that was supposed to be yours all along you you can learn to appreciate um, 
so many <clears throat> like so many of the new things with it it's like hearing new music for the first time it's like oh okay shit this makes sense mm. oh this word is so beautiful and I I like I am a word geek so that's <laughs> also a thing um and also like the grammatics and stuff like that but also that you you can humble yourself so much more when you realize that so much of the shame is just connected to the not knowing and also being constantly reminded that um, age is also just like it's a made-up thing because you're supposed to turn 18 and be grown up you're Mm. you're supposed to become an adult and to be an adult is to know everything and everybody's like a beginner at something and to feel like a child uh in a grown-up's body and then to realize that saying that I feel like a child is saying that I feel stupid and then Mm. that must mean I think that children are either stupid or like a burden that is worth it and does that mean then that I am not worth it to take that time and to give myself that space to learn Mm -hmm. something new yeah but I was thinking like about because you also mentioned you know your family uh, Mm. and your roots and I mean your family is you're from Jokkmokk and Uh, Jokkmokk uh, uh, and Stockholm and Stockholm and then I was thinking about this kind of idea or if you distinguish because a lot of people uh, have the tendency again because this is we are so used to working in the state of the unnatural which you just mentioned but to distinguish between oh your family or your chosen family and I think I was talking oh about yeah you know? no I it's at me it's like um you 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 have when you when you introduce yourself you have to introduce yourself with who's both like grandchild and child you are so Mm. people can know like keep track of which family goes where Mm. because uh, mostly people just call each other cousins and it can be like a cousin or just like a bit further away but it could also be just someone that has hung out with your family for such a long time that they're just they're cousins it's easier to just say cousins Mm. Uh, so I think that the queer community to me uh, makes so much more sense than the non-queer community mm. like in uh, in a colonial like environment because it's the same like we're we're siblings we're sisters and brothers we're family yeah. and we we choose each other and we choose each other over and over again um, so family to me is is the people I choose Mm. to to have in my life um but I also have I also have a very good like bloodband family and we don't always we don't always agree like upon everything all the time we have huge arguments of course but you also have to see that when you're part of a marginalized groups you will have like more likely have bigger fights than others because you have more struggles and more emotions to to handle and maneuver all the time Mm. um so had absolutely had arguments with my family but i have never not felt loved Mm. by them 
even even with the like biggest and most fucked up misunderstandings i've never felt like they didn't love me and i mean i can i can talk shit about my sister and i can be mad with my mom <laughs> but i i i i will punch a bitch if they talk shit about my family like yeah. you have to you have to connect with me on a very very specific level to be able to tell me some true shit about my family like mm, maybe that was not completely cool of your mom to say that thing I was like what did you say about my mom mm. <laughs> I I can talk shit about her when I'm angry but she's my mom yeah and that that's the thing we're, we're brought up with it's not dangerous to be angry we're allowed to feel things and we can disagree and still share this space because I read actually this really, you, I translated it, but I think the translation is just as beautiful as the original. But you mm -hmm. said that words are physically shaped emotions. Yeah. I was like, whoa, like what? Okay. Um, and it's just like, yeah, because you can, you can sculpt kind of how you feel through the language that you use in a way. Mm. And I was wondering a bit how you, how, like your process a bit, you know, how you shape your words and and how your process is when you when you are working with poetry. Um, my process when working with poetry, I think I work with poetry all the time because what I do for a living uh, is my living is also my surviving. I need mm. I need to create in the same way that I need to breathe. Um, it's it's not like a drug. It's not that I I feel like I'm I'm getting like cold shivers if I if I can't create. It's it's like someone telling me to not breathe or not to feel. So I think the creative process is constant. Um, so I, I I think I think the proper question would be like, how, how do I think about my communication? And I, I have so much to thank my family for. And one of the things is my mom has always said that it's not dangerous to be angry. It's not a bad thing to mm. be angry. Um, frustration is, is always connected to something else. We have always been allowed to feel our feelings uh, and to try to communicate them and then try again if, if it doesn't come out right. And I think it's interesting because I've been thinking about that so much today, how much of, of the communication that is um, unspoken mm. communication uh, so I think I think that the process of communicating is constant when it comes to uh, creating art as in for work. Uh, I don't know if I should say that I feel ashamed to say it, but a part of me is ashamed. I I build it up and I procrast like procrastinate the shit mm. out of tons of work 
I build, I build up all of my emotions so much to an, an anxiety level that mm. is absolutely horrid at times. <laughs> and then I just force myself to write it out. Um, because everything I do on a stage is something that I, 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 I just try to create what I feel is missing. I think. Thank you to Mimi for sharing your time and your words with us. Rose would like to sincerely thank all our guests who are part of this program. It was an honor to learn from you and the ways in which you engage with cultural expression. As well to Claire, who has been patient with us amateurs. And to end this chapter, we leave you again with Elina Våge Mikaelsens Rothro Govkit Glenner i Vier. Mm.